all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then that is when Jesus replies and tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's start looking at this at verse 25. Verse 25 says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This question is the context of the whole parable. The, the lawyer was probably a scribe. Okay? He was an expert in the law. One who copied God's word down in scrolls for people to read. He was a scribe. So he would have known the law very well and in detail. And Jesus' dialogue with the lawyer begins with the lawyer asking a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? This verse gives us some valuable insight into the condition of the man who comes to Jesus. So let's look at this. Read it again. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What does that verse teach us about the lawyer? Think about it. There's some clues in this very first verse. What does, this, what does the verse teach us about the lawyer? I already covered one, right? He was probably a scribe, okay? We get that because he calls him a lawyer. Okay, what else do we know about the scribe? About the lawyer? Hey, why does he ask the question? He's so he was either trying to trick Jesus or he's just trying to put him to the test to see what Jesus knew. Right? How well does this man know the law? So he's going to test him. So was this for the lawyer's own benefit that he was asking this question? So what does that tell you? What is the lawyer assuming? Right? But does the lawyer know the answer to the question already? Does he think he does? He thinks he does. So we already know here that the lawyer is trying to test Jesus with a question he thinks he already knows the answer to, right? Now, keep going. What else does this tell us about the lawyer? Look closely at the guy's question, the scribe's question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What does that tell you about the man? How does, the, how does the scribe, with that question, how does the scribe think he can inherit eternal life? By doing something. We already know he thinks he can do something. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? So even in this first question, this very first sentence, this first verse, we are learning things already about this teacher. He thinks he knows the answer to the question, and he thinks he can do something to inherit eternal life. Jesus understood the man was asking him a question he thought he already knew the answer to. Jesus, knowing the thoughts and intentions of men's hearts, replies by asking the lawyer, an expert in the law, a question. Verse 26. We're in Luke 10, by the way. Luke 10, verse 26. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Okay, now verse 27, the lawyer's answer. And he answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the lawyer answers Jesus' question by directly quoting Old Testament law. I want to look at that Old Testament law. So go to Deuteronomy 6. Keep your finger in Luke 10. Or if you have the notes, I put Luke 10 in the notes. So as we're flipping to other passages, you still have Luke 10 right in front of you. So you can look at it. Deuteronomy 6. We've already covered this. Pastor has covered this recently. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Jason, you have that? Can you read that for us? And the Israelites did this, right? They put scripture verses, they attached them to their head. (laughs) They literally wore them. They'd write them down and they'd wear scripture verses on their body. But verse 5 here is what the lawyer quotes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the first part of what the lawyer quoted, but not the whole thing. Okay? Go to Leviticus 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 through 18. Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. Tim, do you have that? Can you read that for us? Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the scribe, this lawyer, quoted directly from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And then after that, Jesus likewise responds by quoting the Old Testament law. Jesus' response comes from Leviticus 18. So turn just a couple pages over to Leviticus 18. And in Leviticus 18... Verse 5, so you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Right? Jesus said, 
Do this and you will live. Verse 28 of Luke 10. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Here in verse 5 of Leviticus 18. By which a man will live if he does them. Keeping the statutes and the judgments. Right? So here we have the, the lawyer quotes the Old Testament law. And Jesus responds to his quotation by also quoting Old Testament law and says, do this and you will live. Okay. Now we're on verse 29 of Luke 10. But wishing to justify himself, speaking of the lawyer, wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, we find some insight into the state of this lawyer based on his question. And based on what this says about him. So what things are we being told about the lawyer here? Okay. Let's read verse 29 again. Think about what things we learn about the lawyer in this this verse. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay. So what do we learn about the lawyer there? He's still trying to trap Jesus. He's wanting to justify himself, right? Okay, so then again, what's the question? Is the question an honest question he wants to know the answer to? Or this is a question he thinks he knows the answer to, right? He's again, he's trying to test Jesus. Not Not an honest question that he's seeking the answer to, right? He's trying to test Jesus. And not only that, what's he trying to do for himself? He's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make himself look good. <laughs> right? So this gives us some this gives us the background of this parable about the good Samaritan, right? And Jesus obviously knows the man's heart. So he gives this parable to the man who's asking these questions to directly address what's going on in the man's heart. Okay? Now, the lawyer thought he knew what the law commanded, right? He's the scribe. He knew with the law. He knew the law very well. And in his own eyes, he was loving the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his mind and with all his strength and loving his neighbor as himself. But, of course, unless there was a different definition of neighbor than what the lawyer had. Now, you have to understand some things about the Jewish oral tradition here. So the Jews at this time often added things to God's word by their oral tradition. So in the Jewish oral tradition at the time, That stated exactly who was his neighbor and who wasn't his neighbor. So the lawyer didn't believe just anyone was his neighbor. The Jews at the time thought that only their close relatives, their fellow Israelites, and those who were considered righteous were their neighbors. Anyone they thought was a sinner, anyone they thought um, was not a Jew, who wasn't living righteously, was not their neighbor, The Jews could even kill somebody who they thought wasn't considered their neighbor and they wouldn't be tried for murder in the Jewish law at the time. Any Gentile? Jesus knows the man's condition, as he always does. 
And he directly addresses that condition. So as we go through this parable, we're going to read through it again. Here's some questions I want you to think about. Some things you're going to try to answer in your mind as we go through it. Okay, the first question. So what false assumptions was the lawyer making and how does Jesus directly address those assumptions? How does Jesus directly address the assumptions the lawyer was making in this parable? And two, how does the parable answer the first question? Remember, this whole exchange started because of the lawyer's original question. What was his original question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, don't forget that. Okay, now, verse 30. We'll start with the parable. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay, first thing I want you to keep in mind as we go through this story, that it is a story. This is something that Jesus told them, made up on the spot. It doesn't necessarily have to be events that actually happened. Is it possible this actually happened? Yes, of course it's possible. But we don't have to look through it and go, okay, why was the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho? We don't know that. Okay, and the details like that that aren't given here aren't important to the point. The details that we need to come to the proper understanding of the passage are given in the passage, and we don't really need to go speculating about why a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know. But Jesus does give us the information we need to know. We don't know what the motives of the people who were traveling down the road or what they were thinking. Okay? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, let's look at that. It says, a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. Okay, so Jerusalem was at an elevation of 2,500 feet above sea level. So Jerusalem was up on a mountain. Jericho was 800 feet below sea level. The The distance between the two was about 17 miles. What does that tell you about the kind of road that this was? This is a mountain road, right? This is steep, treacherous, dangerous. The, the drop would have been about 200 feet for every mile. So this is a steep road going downhill. Likely as you go down a road like this, you've seen mountain roads or switchbacks going down the road. This is a dangerous road. And hearing a story of somebody being robbed on this road was an all-too-familiar story. It happened frequently that people going down this road would be robbed because it was in mountains and there was caves and there was caverns and places to hide, places for robbers to go and places for robbers to get away from. So it was a dangerous road. And here is a man traveling down this road and he fell among robbers. The robbers stripped the man of his clothes, leaving him cold and naked. They beat him with many blows and left him for dead. In fact, the Greek word used for wounds in verse 34 is the word trauma. So you guys understand what that is. The man was in critical condition. He was left for dead. In fact, this verse says he was half dead. So he was dying and was already halfway there when the first person comes by. Okay, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So this is a priest. Did the priest know the law? 
like the lawyer who asked? Yes, the priest would know the law, right? Priests were Levites, but were also descendants of Aaron, right? They were the ones in charge of the temple. They offered sacrifices, and they led all the Jewish ceremonies and festivals. They knew the law. They knew it backwards and forwards. They knew it inside out. They knew the law really well. They were the religious leaders of their day, okay? Let's go to Micah 6, Micah chapter 6. Let's look at some of the law that this priest would have known very well. Micah 6, verse 8. Wade, do you have that? What does the Lord require of us? What did the Lord require of the priest? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In Exodus 23, I'll just read it to you. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or donkey wandering away, you shall return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under the load... You shall refrain from leaving it there. You shall surely release it from its load. You shall surely return it, and you shall return it um, to its owner. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So not only here in Leviticus 19 does God tell them they have to love their neighbor, they also have to love the alien who's among them. Because they were strangers in the land of Egypt. They should have understood what it meant to be aliens in the land. So was the priest required under God's law to help the dying man? Yes. But what did the priest do? It says, he passed by on the other side. Passed by on the other side is actually one Greek word, and it means to go opposite. So the priest came upon the man. The picture here, the way it's translated, makes you think he kind of scooted around him. It actually means he went opposite. He turned around. He went the other way. He totally avoided him altogether. Verse 32. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. There's that Greek word again. Passed by on the other side. He went opposite. He went the other way. The Levite was a descendant of Levi, but not of Aaron. So he wasn't a priest. He was a Levite, but the Levite's job was to assist the priests. Their job was to assist in liturgy. They were the temple police. They helped carry out sacrifices. Do you think he knew the law? Yes. So here Jesus in this parable, first the priest, who should be the best known of the law, then a Levite, 
who should also very well know the law. And they both pass by on the other side. Again, we see somebody who knew the law who wasn't following it. Verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. When he saw him, he felt compassion. Okay, now who was a Samaritan? Who were the Samaritans to the Jews? Likewise, who was the Jews to the Samaritans? Okay, go back to Nehemiah. We're not going to turn there. I won't take the time. But you guys, I think you know the story of Nehemiah. What happened to Nehemiah? He was in exile, right? He was serving the king. He was sad. The king gave him permission to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Goes back and starts rebuilding the wall, and who shows up? The Samaritans, right? Who were the Samaritans? We know that they were there in the land, so these are a remnant people who didn't get exiled. They were Jews, but they intermarried with the people of the land, which was against the law. So they broke the law. They intermarried with people that were living there. And so to the Jews, they were kind of a half-breed. They were sinners because their ancestors had broke the law and intermarried. But when the Samaritans show up to help Nehemiah, they don't want anything to do with the Samaritans. They send the Samaritans away. Well, then the Samaritans get mad. And led by a name of Sanballat, they try to make life very difficult for Nehemiah, right? You know the story. Um, They tried to attack They even tried to slander Nehemiah to the king. They wrote letters to the king saying he was doing things he wasn't doing. You know the story. So that's the start of this war, basically, with the Samaritans and the Jews, right? They hated each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans so much that they wouldn't even step foot in Samaria. If they were traveling from Galilee... To Jerusalem, they would go the long way and they would go across the Jordan. They would go around so they didn't have to go through Samaria. If the Jews wanted to insult someone with the worst insult they could come up with, what did they call them? A Samaritan. In fact, we've had that records of that told to Jesus when they hated him. They called him a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Because that was the worst insult you could give to somebody if you were a Jew, was calling them a Samaritan. So according to the lawyer here, the scribe who asked the original question, the Samaritan would have been the most hated enemy of this dying man and the farthest thing from a neighbor. He wasn't a fellow Jew. He wasn't a blood relative. He didn't live close by. The man was a complete stranger to the Samaritan. And add to it, they were enemies. But the Samaritan is the one who has compassion on the man. Now, a common objection to this parable that Jesus tells is that it's unlikely the Samaritan would be traveling this road, right? Because the road's not in Samaria. So why would a Samaritan be in, be in Israel traveling down this road? We don't know and it doesn't matter, basically, is the answer to that. It's a parable. We're learning things from the parable that Jesus gives us. So objections like this, they really don't matter, okay? It's just a story. It's just an illustration, And if Jesus wanted to place a Samaritan in his illustration, traveling down the road, he could. 
because whether or not the Samaritan should have been on the road really has nothing to do with the point of the parable. Okay, verse 34 of Luke 10. What did the Samaritan do? And the Samaritan came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. These two verses tell us about what the Samaritan did for the dying man. And it is extensive. We know the Samaritan was on a journey, right? He had at least a beast of burden, probably a donkey or maybe a mule. We just know it was a pack animal of some kind. We also know that he had with him wine. We know he had oil. We know he had some money. So these are the things the Samaritan took with him on his journey. Okay? The reason he had these things, wine, oil, and money, is because these were necessities. If you went on a journey in those days, these are the things you would take with you to sustain yourself. Wine was a necessity. If you went on a journey, you couldn't take water. The water would spoil. So you took wine in wineskins to keep to drink because that was your fluids. In Israel, and especially these parts when you're going down to Jerusalem, it's a hot, arid land. You needed fluids to take with you. So that was the wine, what it was for when you'd go on a journey. But what did the Samaritan do with his wine that he needed? He poured it out on the man's wounds. And it doesn't say he put a little on a cloth and he poured it out, is what it says. He poured oil and wine on them. Okay? Oil was also carried on a journey, usually to cook with or just to eat. It was another necessity. And oil in those days was used to soothe aching wounds, like wine was used as a disinfectant. The oil was used to soothe the wounds as moisture, keep them clean and to keep them moist. And the Samaritan poured his oil out on the dying man. The bandages, it also says that he came to him and bandaged up his wounds. So it was likely he was on a journey. He wasn't carrying bandages along with him. So where did the bandages come from? Well, it was probably his clothes. He probably ripped up some of his clothes and used them as bandages. So what this man is doing, what the Samaritan is doing for the dying man is extensive. This isn't minimal care, right? He's doing his best to care for the dying man. And he's giving away his necessities that he would have needed on his journey to the man who's dying. Then it says the Samaritan helped the man onto his beast and took him to an inn while he himself probably walked. When they were at the inn, the Samaritan took care of the man and watched over him for at least one night. Do you see that? Because it says, uh, there's verse 35, on the next day. So he came and he took him to an inn, and on the next day he took out two denarii. So the man, the Samaritan, stayed with the man overnight. Do you see that? And then the next day, the Samaritan tells the innkeeper to keep a tab... So if there was any additional expense, he could repay the man, repay the innkeeper when he returned. And then the Samaritan would go on his way to wherever he was going, but now the Samaritan was a day behind, right? 
He spent a day with this man, a, a night. He was behind schedule now. The Samaritan had less necessities than he needed. But look what it also says. He gave him to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So what, that tells, what does that tell you about the Samaritan's plans? He now plans to come back and to check on the man. And whatever expenses there were, to repay him. Verse 36, Luke 10. Jesus asks, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Verse 37. And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. It's interesting the way the lawyer responds. Could the lawyer even say the name Samaritan? No, he wasn't even going to say the name. He wasn't even going to say Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy towards him, not wanting to admit it was the Samaritan who was supposed to be his enemy. Jesus then commands the man, go and do the same. Okay, so what conclusions can we draw? Now we've gone through the parable, we've gone through the context. What conclusions can we come to? The first two men, the priest and the Levite, qualified as the man's neighbor according to the lawyer, right? The Samaritan didn't. In fact, the Samaritan was the furthest thing from from a neighbor to the man according to the lawyer. Jesus was telling the man that your, law, your neighbor was not just the people around you who they thought they were, not your countrymen, your kin, or your friends. Your neighbor is anyone, right? Even your enemies is what Jesus is telling him. This is the direct answer to the lawyer's question, second question, about the application, who is my neighbor, right? And this application is what most people take away from this parable. But is that the only conclusion we can come to? In fact, can we go even farther and say, Is this Jesus' main point, or is Jesus' main point something else? So let's look into this a little further and see, is this the main point Jesus is making? Is he trying to tell the lawyer just simply who his neighbor is? Or is Jesus at the same time also answering the question that the lawyer asked first? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what does the lawyer respond to Jesus about the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him what is written in the law, how does it read to you? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Is that the correct answer to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Yes. We know that for two reasons, right? One, plainly stated in Old Testament law, which we read. Two, the other reason we know that that's the correct answer to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, is because Jesus actually says so, right here. He says, you have answered correctly, right? Jesus tells the man, yes, you want eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then says, just to make sure you understand. Do this, and you will live. Okay? 
So what did you need to do and live? Okay, let's look at the parable again, right? What does the Samaritan do? The kind of care given by the Samaritan was extensive. It was over the top. And actually, if you think about it, it becomes a bit outrageous. It was extreme generosity, lavishly poured out. Think about the account the Samaritan left with the innkeeper, okay? Jesus tells us the man, in verse 30, that the robbers went away, leaving the man half dead. How long do you think it would take for a man who was half dead to recover? A few days? Probably not. Definitely not. A few weeks? Maybe. A few months? Probably. I actually um, had to, uh, I got to leave early. I got to go pick up a bowl in New York. It's a last minute thing. Anyway, I had to get a hotel. And in this area, New York, it must be a vacation spot or something. The cheapest thing I could find was like 150 bucks a night. Good thing I only have to stay one night. <laughs> okay. Okay, here this man is left at an inn. He will likely have to stay at that inn for months. What kind of expense are we looking at here? Let's see, 150 bucks a night <laughs> for at least 60 nights, maybe? How much money is that? Okay, now wait. Before he had this up, we're making a bill here. The man needed to eat, right? Any food or expenses. How much would it cost for food for this man while he was recovering? You think it's, that's a small bill? Okay, wait a minute, but he says, whatever else the man needs. You think the man needed medical care? Definitely. So here you have a medical bill on top of that. So you have the bill from the innkeeper, you have food, you have at least medical expenses, necessities. Probably the man needed clothes because the robbers left him naked, right? Okay, let's start adding this up here. What kind of expense is this? How long do you think a man would have to work in those days to pay that kind of expense? Yeah, it's not 60 days, right? This is, this is crazy. I mean, this is a lot of expense. I don't know exactly what it would cost. We can speculate. But this is, so in today's money, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, right? That the Samaritan gave to a man that's his enemy, that he found lying half dead in the road. Yeah. The Samaritan, the Jew was the Samaritan, you know, the man in the road was, was a Jew, and the man who came upon him was a Samaritan. They were enemies. Right. It is. Well, we're, we'll get to that here. <laughs> so this isn't anything that people would normally do for a stranger, right? Let alone an enemy. Most people aren't going to do this. Now, you might do that for a spouse, right? Or a child or a parent. These are the things that you would do for them, right? The Samaritan found a complete stranger, an arch enemy. 
and lavishly took care of every need with his own necessities. Okay? And he paid large sums of money to make sure the wounded man had everything he needed. Nothing was spared. And then Jesus tells the lawyer, the scribe, go and do the same. How do you think the lawyer would have responded to that? We don't have the lawyer's response. It's not given here. What do you think the lawyer thought when Jesus said that? Go and do the same. You want me to do what? (laughs) That's not my neighbor. That's my enemy. Now you see how Jesus is addressing the man. So the question is, have you ever done this for anybody? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, go do this, go and do likewise. This is what Jesus is requiring of you to do. Have you loved, ever loved anybody to that extent? Think about it. Have you ever cared for anyone the way this Samaritan cared for his enemy? You may have given to a homeless man. They have given him some food, worked at a food bank, helped people in need, served in a soup kitchen, right? But that's not anywhere close to what this Samaritan did for this dying man, right? But think about it. Have you done this for anybody? Would you do this kind of care for anybody, especially somebody you didn't know? But if you think about it long enough, there is someone you do this for. There is somebody you do this for every day. In fact, every single person in this room has done this kind of care for someone. Who is it? It's yourself. (laughs) Right? We've all done this. We would all do it for ourselves. Now, the law is becoming a little more clear. Love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, the answer should come, now you start to understand. I can't do that, right? Nobody does this. We can't do this. This kind of care that the Samaritan had for this man, nobody does this. Nobody can do it. It's extensive. It's over the top. So can you fulfill the law? Can you do this and live? No. Okay, now we see how Jesus is answering the man's question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The kind of love you need to show to your neighbor to keep the law is the kind of love that's shown in this parable. It's the kind of love that needs to be shown to your neighbor all the time, perfectly, without flaw. We can't do it. And this is just the second half of the law. Right? This parable doesn't even focus on the first half of the law. The first part that we read. Love the Lord your God with all your with all your sorry, missed the phrasing. With all your with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. It doesn't even address that. Can we do that? Nope, can't do that either. Right? It's impossible for any of us to do. Even in our best efforts, we couldn't even come close. Right? So the lawyer was making a lot of assumptions here. The lawyer thought he could keep the law. He also thought he could inherit eternal life by his merits. In addition, he thought he knew who his neighbor was and what it meant to love his neighbor. 
Jesus shows the man that he is wrong on all accounts. And that he fails woefully short of keeping the law. Now add to this what James 2 says. James 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So if the way to eternal life is by keeping the law perfectly without stumbling at any point, how does anyone inherit eternal life? Obviously you guys know the answer to that question. By Jesus paying the penalty for your sins on the cross. But, Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, but this is about inheriting eternal life by keeping the whole law perfectly all the time, never ceasing. Right? You still have to do that, right? You still have to keep the whole law perfectly, don't you? But you can't do it. So how does that work? You know this. Because Jesus kept the whole law perfectly, and his righteousness is imputed to you. You are saved both through the death of Christ, which he paid for your sins, and through the life of Christ, which he lived perfectly on your behalf. Right? You need perfect righteousness. And that's what's at the heart of this parable. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and perform them. But here's the key, Romans 5. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinner, even so through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Because of Jesus' perfect obedience to God's law, he earned perfect righteousness before God. Before God, then Jesus' perfect righteousness is imputed to us through faith, and that in his life we might have a perfect righteousness that God required. Right? Now, if I asked you what the parable of the Good Samaritan was about before we started, you might have a different answer than you had now. But if I told you the parable of the Good Samaritan is about our need for imputed righteousness, you probably would have thought I was nuts. <laughs> but you see it now, right? The story of the Good Samaritan is about our need for perfect righteousness, and the only way to get it is by faith in Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins, rescues us from the penalty of our sins, and then gives us his righteousness. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the law, the whole law, every part of it, perfectly, all the time, without fail. We can't do it, but Jesus did. Amen. Any questions? (laughs) Right, Old Covenant works. And you know, every time I see this good Samaritan, now I have to look at it after I've gone through this. The first time I went through this was about 11 years ago. I have to chuckle. (laughs) You look at it and you go, they don't know what that means. (laughs) They don't have a clue. 
And the movie coming out called The Samaritan, that doesn't have anything to do with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's also interesting, too, that if you... This is the, now the Samaritan's legacy, right? Here's a story about a Samaritan. This probably didn't even really happen, right? But if you say in modern day, a Samaritan, what do people think? Well, that's not doesn't have anything to do with Samaritans, right? There's the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it's about our need for salvation, our need for Jesus to rescue us from our sins and to give us his perfect righteousness. Right, and the world looks at it as good works, which is ironic, right? The world looks at the parable, you know, being a good Samaritan is works-based, right? You need to be a good Samaritan. You need to do works. But the whole parable is about the fact that you can't do that and inherit eternal life. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight and the instruction it gives us. But we stand in awe that you paid the penalty for our sins, but not only that, but you imputed your righteousness to us. What an incredible gift. That we are required to obey your whole law and to obey it perfectly, but we can't do it. So you gave us your Son and gave us his perfect righteousness and justified us through him. Lord, may we praise and glorify your holy name this morning because of that. May we be constantly reminded of what you did for us. Worship your name, glorifying you. And may our worship be pleasing to you and a sweet sound to your ear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.